Hi, this is Millie Long from University of North Carolina, and with me today is my co-host, uh, Dr. Ray Croft from University of Maryland, and we are excited to launch this episode of IBD Drive Time uh, with our guest, Dr. Samir Shah, who is the immediate past president of the American College of Gastroenterology, really a, a fantastic organization for clinical gastroenterologists um, you know, across uh, really the world, obviously focused here in the U.S., um, and we're so thrilled to have you join us today, uh, Samir. Thank you, Millie. Thank you, Ray. It's really an honor to be with you guys. I'm excited to, to speak with you. So we thought what we'd do today is talk a little bit about the college and um, some things that you're proud of, things that you've learned through your leadership, and also jump into some uh, more IBD-specific content as well. So, so let me start off with just having you comment on some of the achievements that you're most proud of over the past years of leading the American College of Gastroenterology. Well, it's been an amazing year, and uh, we have an amazing staff, as you well know, uh, that help us with everything, and great leadership amongst our board, our committee chairs, uh, all the, the various things that we do. So we've been able to continue to have virtual grand rounds, uh, local uh, regional conferences, and our national conference in Charlotte, which is very successful in, in person. The lectures were outstanding. We really expanded the things that we do for our members in terms of resources for patients with patient educational tools, um, resources for our uh, members, including GI on demand and uh, uh, GI quick, our quality registry. We've expanded, uh, so we're going to be launching uh, uh, clinical uh, slide sets based on our guidelines. So the first two that we release will be on, on ulcerative colitis and on colon cancer. And those are just some of the things that could go on a lot longer. We, we had record funding for research this past year, and we've uh, opened up leadership training for our younger physicians and our, middle, our, our physicians who've been in practice, uh, whether academic or private, for 10 or more years. You know, it's really amazing all the resources, both for career development, for our members, um, potentially for education, you know, for quality improvement, um, you know, so much. And, and I think I, I really credit the college for that. You mentioned the slide decks and our, our readers, our listeners may be, uh, may be interested in that. So these are going to be slides available for use for educational um, purposes. So, so if, if you're in practice or you're in academics and you need to give a lecture on ulcerative colitis, if you're a member of the ACG, you can download those slides. They're annotated, they're updated, um, and then you can choose the slides that are appropriate for your audience. So if you're giving a talk to medical students or residents or GI fellows or to your fellow uh, gastroenterologists in the community who may not be as familiar with uh, ulcerative colitis as the two of you are, you can you can choose the right slide sets. And, and so uh, we're going to see how the first two slide sets go. And my hope is we'll have some for all the major topics, and then they'll be based on our clinical guidelines. So I'm really excited about that. No, what a great resource. What other resources? I want to make sure because I think there's so much, you know, many of us may not know what's right at our fingertips. Yeah. I, I Are think, there other, uh, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. Are there other things you want to make sure our listeners are aware of? Yeah, so I think, you know, we have a, a wonderful resource called the ACG Universe. I think it's underutilized. So we record all, all these lectures and then they're updated and um, uh, organized in a very nice fashion on, on our on our website. If you go to the ACG Universe um, and you can, if you have a topic that you need to research or you want to learn more about or you're going to give a talk about, you can see 
let's see Ray Cross talking about IBD or um, uh, Nick Shaheen talking about Barrett's. Uh, and then you can update your talk. If you have APPs in your practice and uh, there's a special section, there are close to 100 lectures now for APPs, by mostly APPs to help them uh, get acclimated to all the things we do in GI and our approach to uh, gastrology. There's a wonderful section on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And not all um, centers or practices have resources for that. So I think the ACG universe is really underutilized and something that I'd love to highlight for our members. I think... Um, our quality registry uh, GI quick is fantastic. We participate. That's going to be expanding to non-endoscopic measures, including IBD and liver disease. And then finally, um, uh, GI on demand. I've been sending my patients there. I'm unfortunately don't have the resources that you and Ray have in terms of having a nutritionist and, and psychologist built into my private practice. And so I'm able to send patients there and, and they can get access to high level nutritionists, high level behavioral health, health therapists to help them uh, get uh, basically 360 degree care for their IBD. Fantastic. This is exactly what I'm sure our listeners are looking for. Right? Great resources, both for patient care uh, and education. You know, you know, speaking about the education bit, um, I know that uh, the ACG does a best of India um, where, you know, different faculty members go to different sites um, in India and present kind of the latest and greatest in IBD research. And I got a, a preview of that from you because I know you'll be participating in Best of um, Best of ACG India. And one of, some of the data that you selected to present includes several abstracts on rizinkizumab. Um, so would you mind talking through the high-level results and how these data may impact your clinical practice? Because obviously, rizinkizumab is now an approved agent for Crohn's disease. Absolutely. So there were three abstracts presented at our president's plenary session on rizinkinumab. And the first one looked at symptom relief. And although we care about mucosal healing, our patients care about, do they feel better? And so the first one looked at um, a stool frequency and abdominal pain, and it showed that over 52 weeks that there was significant improvement. And interestingly, there was moderate correlation between improvement and the higher dose and endoscopic uh, healing. So that was the, the first abstract. The second abstract that uh, that was presented looked at patients who didn't respond in the first 12-week induction period. Now, they got went on to continue to get the drug, and what was very interesting was um, a lot of them responded. So um, an additional 12 weeks, uh, uh, you got a, a, a significant response, and so the message is don't give up after 12 weeks, keep going, um, and you'll, you'll get additional people responding. And then the final abstract looked at whether um, previous uh, failures of biologics affected response. And they looked at patients who had been on only one biologic or two or three, or even three biologics plus um, uh, ustekinumab, another uh, uh, IL-23-12 inhibitor. And what was interesting was the delta was, was very similar regardless of the number of biologics. Um, and the, 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 I think the take-home message for me was that there was a higher placebo response in the patients who've only been on one previous biologic and the patients who've been on uh, multiple biologics, there was a lower placebo response, but the delta between the um, uh, response and the placebo response was, was very similar. There wasn't a lot of numbers in the uh, patients who had previously been on uh, IL-23 inhibitors, specifically ustekinumab, but um, there still was a signal. It's so similar to what, what uh, our colleagues in dermatology have seen with, with psoriasis. So um, the, the message for me is uh, don't worry about uh, whether patients have failed other biologics. You can still use risinkinumab and expect a, a, a reasonable response. 
No, I think that's really important. I think one of the things that at least I and I think many of us struggle with now is the sequencing and positioning for the individual patient and trying to think through when you're starting that first biologic, like will this potentially impact choices later on and how do I think through this trajectory? And so, you know, obviously, as you know, many other studies, um, particularly some of the TNFs um, uh, and uh, anti-integrins, have, have demonstrated a lesser response with subsequent um, treatments. And so I think that sequencing and positioning is going to become a really important topic for us as we move forward with kind of a lot of different um, choices now, thankfully, in our arsenal. Absolutely agree. And, and so uh, very, very good to have this in our, in our back pocket. So Samir, I just, before I ask you a few more questions, including follow up, following up on GI On Demand, I just want to remind the listeners that um, IBD Drive Time is sponsored by AIBD and the Gastroenterology Learning Network. And we have the first uh, regional AIBD of 2023 coming up in Baltimore at the Inner Harbor Sheridan, 3.31 on, in the afternoon and then April 1st all day. Uh, Millie and I are both speakers, so plenty of time to register. Uh, we hope to see you there. Um, Samir, I just wanted to follow up before we ask you a couple more questions about um, Best of ACG in India. I wanted to follow up on GI On Demand because I'm, I'm ashamed to say I'm not familiar with the resource. So mechanistically, can you just walk the listeners through that? So if you have someone that needs uh, dietary advice, like pragmatically, how does it work? So you can just send them to the website G on Demand, and it's it's free. There's additional things for HG members, but uh, it has resources. So so lectures that have been uh, looked at, but designed for patients. So it's sort of like it might have a nutrition 101 for your patients with Crohn's disease. If your patient has eosinophagitis and wants to do a six elimination diet, they'll have things for that. If if they're having pain issues and want to uh, use um, cognitive behavioral therapy, they'll have some some initial lectures on that. And then they can uh, try to find somebody in their area who's been vetted um, to either have a private session. And for that, they'll have to pay for or a group session, but that's much more affordable. It allows access to those sort of resources. So this is a resource that's growing. There's also genetics. Uh, not everyone has access to, to great geneticists. So in terms of if you have somebody with a you know, strong family history of multiple cancers, et cetera. So we're hoping that this brings quaternary care to, to all practices. Great. That's wonderful. I didn't know that. I learned something again today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about ipatacitinib. Um, so I think all three of us are using this. Um, and in my experience thus far, I've had a couple patients that have responded, but have had an incomplete response at week eight. And I've, I've pondered, should I keep going with a 45 milligrams for another eight weeks or go ahead and drop them down to 30 and risk them worsening. So I think there was a, an abstract that was presented there looking at extended induction. Can you comment on that? And then maybe if you've had any clinical experience doing that, just share your experience and practice. Sure. And and this, I think that was a really important abstract. So there are a bunch of people uh, listed on it. I believe Peter Higgins from University of Michigan presented it. But uh, in any case, he looked at patients who didn't have a complete response to the initial uh, eight-week induction with uh, 45 milligrams of upacitinib. And they got, there were 125 patients and they got another eight weeks of that same dose. And of the 125 patients, 73 or 58%, you know, close to two thirds responded at that higher dose. 
And so the take home message for me is if somebody's responding, um, but not completely to not give up and give them another eight weeks, uh, I wouldn't drop them. I've had one patient like that where I, I felt nervous. I, I, did, I wasn't aware of the data, but we kind of got them through with samples to, to do it. And then we dropped them down to 30. The other important point of that uh, study was that the patients who required that extra uh, eight weeks, they did better on the higher dose, not surprisingly for maintenance in terms of the 30 milligram compared to the 15 milligram dose. And I know you guys have seen this in your practice for my patients who've had more severe disease. Um, you know, I dropped to 30 and then and not, not further. I, I think if they're doing well on 30, I don't want to drop to 15. They're not going to do quite as well. Yeah. I'm speaking for Millie here because she and I have had multiple discussions about this with TOFA, but I don't think any of us really believe in dose reduction for these patients because they're often very refractory third or fourth line treatments. So we're typically leaving them at that higher dose. Although oftentimes pharmacists and sometimes payers are trying to push us to lower the dose and we push back and fight. But um, yeah, I agree. I, I have a handful of cases, not enough have gotten through to the six month scope to see where they are, but I'm becoming more and more comfortable just extending the induction. I just wanted to point out one thing, right? Because I've had the same thing and I've had a little bit of pushback from insurance. And I will say to the listeners out there, if you reach out to your local MSL, they'll give you a full copy of the data that were presented both at UEGW and, and obviously it was presented at ACG India as well. But um, I've found that attaching that and emphasizing your rationale for the extended induction and you actually have data for it will actually help in terms of getting it um, approved. Because like you, these are my severest, sickest of the sick patients and their next step is probably colectomy. And if they've had a response at eight weeks, I sure as heck want to get continue it, you know, moving towards that um, more complete response. Like that partial response is enough for me to hang on. And I've had a good experience with the extended 16-week um, induction. So just want to put it out there that there's data behind this. It's a great point. And uh, you, you, with Samir and I are lucky we have access to samples, but I sometimes forget that not all practices have access to samples and it can be a little more challenging to do that. So that's a great point. That, that reminds me of another resource that we're working on at, at the college. And th these are uh, letters of appeal that are pre-formatted with the, with the things that, pay, that uh, our members can access to make it easier uh, to get the insurance companies to do the right thing for our patients. And I like to pick fun at Millie because she's a, a combination therapy advocate. And when we say combination therapy, we typically think about an anti-TNF and immune suppressant, but we all have handfuls of patients that are on combinations of biologic therapy or a biologic and advanced therapy like a Jack or perhaps even an S1P. So uh, the results of Vega and ulcerative colitis were presented and for the listeners, just compared monotherapy with golimumab, gosulcumab, or the combination. And I just wondered what your perspectives were on the results, Samir. Were you, were you surprised by the results? I wasn't surprised, but I was really pleased to see a company sponsor this trial because it needed to be done. And I think uh, the only way we're going to get uh, insurance approval is if both products come from the same company and then they have some way of discounting it. So um, uh, gazilkamab and galimab are made by the same manufacturers. You know, one's an anti-TNF and one's an uh, IL-23 inhibitor. 
And so for, for our really refractory patients, it was nice to see that Delta, which was in the range of 15 to 20% with, with, with both compared to either alone. And what was really important was we didn't see any major safety signals in terms of combining. Now, granted, they're only combined for the first 10, 12 weeks, and then uh, uh, the anti-TNF was dropped and it was just the uh, IL-23 inhibitor. But I, I think it's a great um, concept, and we're going to need more of these studies. Uh, and then the question is going to be, how are we going to identify the patients? It's usually patients that are coming to see people like you uh, and Millie uh, at, at uh, tertiary referral centers that need the, the, the consideration for these uh, combination uh, biologic uh, or biologic plus advanced uh, small molecule inhibitor. I guess I thought maybe the results would be a little better with the combination group there, but um, the trial design was a treat straight through design. So the numbers are not going to look as rosy as the candy right design where induction and then re-randomization. So that's probably explained some of that. Also, they didn't continue combination therapy past week 12. So they dropped the anti-TNF and the gasolcomab combo arm. So the question is, would it be even a little better if you continued both drugs for maintenance? And I guess we're going to find that out here in the near future with the Duet UC and the Duet CD studies. All right, Samir, time for the fun question. So um, tell us something about yourself that the listeners may not know, or maybe even something that Millie and I may not know. So Millie probably knows this. You don't. I'm an aspiring musician. So I, you know, I I, I grew up in the '80s, loved '80s music. I'm a big uh, uh, Police Sting fan. I got to meet Sting when he came to Brown back in 2018. That kind of got me going. And then during the pandemic, I picked up a guitar. And in one of our uh, post meetings, I was talking to a couple of people on the board with me. I said, oh, joking. I found out that one of them plays guitar, one of them plays bass guitar, used to be in a band. I said, we should form a band. And they said, yes. And I said, I'm kidding. I know three chords and I can barely sing. But we actually formed a band. I got the ACG to approve us as the official band of the ACG, the Beacons. And Millie's uh, heard us perform. The other guys are really talented. They keep, they uh, make up for me, but, but we've had a lot of fun. And and so um, if you invite me back, maybe you can invite the band back and we'll do a song for you. Amazing. There, Millie, what is it? A half dozen of our of our speakers are musicians. And, and I think Jimmy Limdy is an opera, opera singer. And I'm trying to remember who else is, it plays an instrument, but it's very, very common. Yeah. David Ribbon plays the trumpet. We have a number of great musicians in the IBD community. You know, for example, Jeremy Adler plays the violin. Lori Kiefer plays the piano. We have a whole band uh, waiting to join us on IBD Drive Time. And, and their band, the Beacons, is fabulous. I've seen the ACG band um, in person myself. So we'll have to just, uh, at some point in the future, um, have a musical intro. Yeah, why don't, we have, why don't we have an IBD Drive Time with the Beacons and just uh, just be music? Well, Millie and I can introduce you guys, and you, have a, you can play four songs, and then that'll be the Drive Time. It'll be done. Perfect. We're always looking for a venue to play. And, and thank you, Millie. Uh, uh, I, I know you had to say nice things because you're still on the board with me. So I appreciate that. <laughs> and I'm, right. I'm impressed that Jimmy Limdy is an opera singer. I didn't know that about him. Yeah, he's he's he. Millie and I have gotten to do some things with him uh, educationally, and he's he's delightful. He has great little terms like precious remission. He's very funny and he's talented musically as well. So uh, always makes me feel a little dumb that I don't have those skills, but nevertheless, uh, Samir, this has been wonderful. I uh, know you're very busy. Thanks for uh, joining us. And we hope to have the beacons back for IBD drive time in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Millie.